the morning about break of day. That's when my baby went away. Trying and clean don't do me no good. Come back, baby, wish you would. Hello, welcome to Personal Stories of St. James's. I'm the Reverend Matthew Stewart, and today I'm interviewing the Reverend Bob Massey. Uh, Bob has worn and continues to wear many hats, not only in, in our church world, but also in political and academic situations. Um, but at St. James's, Bob is one of our priest associates, and I'm delighted to get to interview him today and to hear a bit about his friendship with uh, renowned spiritual author Henry Nouwen. So Bob, can you uh, lead off by telling us a, a few basics about Henry and also how you first met him? Well, Henry Nouwen uh, was a Roman Catholic priest born in Holland. And he just made it, went to university, made his decision to enter the priesthood there, um, came to the United States and studied and got a doctorate in psychology and then ended up teaching at Notre Dame and that at Yale Divinity School. Uh, over the course of his career, um, he became the number one or number two spiritual writer in the United States, both among Catholics and among Christians, particularly evangelical Christians. And so he was very, very famous uh, because he offered a portrait of, of Christianity that was not a doctrinaire, you know, accept the dogma or else you're in trouble. It was much more speaking to human weakness and the way in which our relationship to God and particularly our relationship to Jesus can speak to our innermost longings and address real human problems, loneliness and depression, but also joy. Um, so, he wrote with great personal self-disclosure, and as a result, people felt very connected to him, and he spoke to thousands and thousands of people every year. But um, I got to know him. It's actually an interesting little story. Uh, when I was at uh, Princeton University finishing my undergraduate, I'd had a very powerful religious experience, a kind of reawakening of my faith uh, between my junior and senior year. And it left me kind of confused. How can I find out more about what this thing of Christianity is? Um, and I went to the Methodist chaplain and we had a nice talk and he handed me this little book and I looked at it and read it and thought it was a very nice book. It was, I think it was with open hands, which was all about that we shouldn't live our life with clenched fix, fists. We should open our hands and be available to each other. I didn't really think about that book. I eventually applied to Yale Divinity School. I showed up. There was a retreat for first year students out uh, in a house on the, on the beach um, with a bunch of faculty. Uh, we all swam out to a rock in the middle of uh, Long Island Sound, and um, we were singing songs, which was very nice. And then this sort of dripping wet guy in a, in a Speedo was sitting next to me, and I had no idea who he was. He was, um, you know, he was kind of gangly, and he's balding and, and kind of awkward with his own body, but very friendly. And so eventually I learned his name was Henry. Eventually I learned that he was a Catholic priest. I'd grown up in the Episcopal tradition and I respected Catholicism, but I didn't know anything about it. So it was Catholic priest. And then I discovered he was a member of the faculty. And then I discovered only after I'd known him for some weeks that this was Henry Nouwen, the famous writer who was the author of the book I had received back at Princeton. 
So anyway, um, Henry, uh, there are a lot of ways to understand Henry, but I think part of it is that he went on a journey of faith that he invited people to join him on. And so uh, he published 39 books, um, and I'll show you a stack of them, but they're, they're mostly rather short books like this. Um, and this is a story of his time in Guatemala. Many of them uh, were meditations on uh, portions of scripture. So he would take a story like uh, the temptation of Jesus um, being taken up by the devil uh, and shown uh, various things, and then he would riff on that. And just to give you a quick example, he would say that if one remembers the story that the devil says to Jesus, he should turn bread, a stone into bread because he was hungry, that he should go up and see all the kingdoms of the world and the devil offered to give them to him. And then finally, he said, if you're such a big deal and you're the son of God, throw yourself off of the temple and let the angels catch you. And so Henry said, these are three temptations. The first is the temptation to be relevant, bread, stone into bread, do something that's valuable. The second is the temptation to be uh, powerful. And the third is the temptation to be spectacular. And so he would develop each of those themes and that his preaching was incredibly vivid. So uh, um, I was very much influenced by him and um, have many stories about knowing him for nearly 20 years, but that I hope gives a feel for a bit who he was and the kind of things he wrote. Great, yeah, tell me, um, tell me one of your favorite stories. I'm sorry? Tell me, tell me one of your favorite stories. Maybe well, I mean, Henry movie. had this way. Well, for, first of all, uh, I'll just finish that story about the temptations because Henry had a kind of nice uh, Dutch accent. So he would say, you know, the temptation to be powerful and the temptation to be spectacular and then the temptation to be relevant. You had to be a relevant. And after one of his speeches, this woman came up to him and said, oh, Father, now and that was so powerful. I, and, you know, I, I really hadn't thought about it before. But when I really look into my heart, it's true. I do want to be an elephant. And so <laughs> um, but his stories, um, he used to hold a daily chapel service, daily Eucharist for 15 or 20 people in a little circular a chapel, sort of a crypt, but not creepy, but it was a stone meeting room. And um, he would give a little homily. And some of his homilies were just amazingly powerful. I'll tell you one. He said, um, you know, as Christians, we should experience gratitude. Everybody in the room said, oh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Let's see all. But and then he said, oh, but how do you do it? And we thought, well, we should think about what other people don't have and what we do have. And he said, well, okay, but to be grateful, you need to cultivate a sensation of surprise. That didn't make sense. Um, he said, well, look, here's the story. So imagine I call you up and I say, I'm coming to see you and I'm bringing you flowers. Well, while I'm coming, you're imagining this big bouquet that I'm, you're gonna, that I'm bringing you, and you get all excited that I'm coming, all excited about the flowers, and when I show up and I have a single daisy, you're kind of disappointed because you built up these expectations. He said, but if I just tell you I'm coming over to see you, and then when you open the door, I have a single daisy for you, you're surprised. 
So in the one case, a big bouquet of flowers doesn't do it. But if you're surprised, you feel gratitude. And I've never forgotten that because sometimes our, when I stop feeling gratitude, it's because I've forgotten to be surprised about all the wonderful things around me, you know, my home, my family, life. So um, that's the kind of story he would tell. I have many others, but I don't want to use up the whole time, but I can probably fit in a few more. Great. Yeah. Well, um, so I, a question occurred to me that, that I didn't put, for those at home, I, I give Bob a crib sheet in advance. Um, but a, a question occurred to me that I wonder how you think Henry would answer, you know, um, or how you would answer. You know, I actually, I wonder in a place like Cambridge, to be crass, how much Jesus should we use? Um, my own sort of personal religious piety revolves very much around the person of Jesus. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm also aware that for some people, that's not where their piety lies. It might, um, and also, you know, hearing the J word can, you know, bring up trauma from the context where that, you, that, you know, theologies around Jesus are hurtful or non-inclusive. Um, so like, I'm, I, like I, I wonder how Henry would answer the question of like how in North Cambridge, um, we should talk about Jesus. You, you... Well, uh, no, excuse me, Matt. Yeah, um, please, yeah. Yeah, he, um, so, I mean, he had, in some sense, a, a tremendous struggle with this exact point because he was at Yale Divinity School. And after 10 years, which is where I met him and took several of his courses and even was a, a research assistant working on one of his, I edited one of his uh, journals. But um, he was restless toward the end, and that's because he he was very interested in some fundamental uh, injustices. Uh, you know, he'd made this very personal engagement in theology and Christian practice, but he had a tremendous heart for poverty, uh, especially Latin American poverty. So he was invited to come to Harvard Divinity School, which some of us at the time thought was a bad idea, kind of out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, but he had been persuaded by Harvey Cox at Harvard and by Gustavo Gutierrez, one of the leaders of the liberation uh, theology movement, that uh, Henry could play an important bridging role between the high academics and high intellect approach of Harvard and then the concrete physical struggle and, and passionate faith of people in, in uh, Latin America. And um, so he... Um, so in one sense, he was very inclusive, very passionate, wanting to connect people and open people's eyes. You know, this was also when America was uh, conducting various proxy wars in Central America, and he was horrified by that and spoke out against it, even though there was pressure on him not to. Um, on the other hand, he died 25 years ago. And so I think there's aspects of our world today and our culture today that he would be absolutely behind. Black Lives Matter. I mean, he was always trying to break through. On the other hand, you know, in his early books, he used uh, kind of sexist language. I mean, the generic, in other words, man, when talking about humanity, he would say, well, man is this kind of species or, you know, a believer when he does things. And he was kind of mortified later when he realized uh, that that practice had become um, exclusionary in some way. Uh, but I hope people will still go ahead and read some of his early books because they're beautiful, They, but they reflect the ancient 
<laughs> now I hope ancient practice. Um, so, uh, but on the other hand, you know, he was full of questions. And one of the questions that came out toward the end of his life was he struggled with uh, his own gay feelings. I mean, he was not open about that in, in his conversations, um, but, uh, and he never, I think, broke his vow of chastity, but he had a lot of turmoil about how much to talk about it and what it meant and, you know, wanting to stand up for oppressed people, but not wanting it to become the story. 25 years ago would have been like, you know, Henry Now and Gay would have been the only thing people talked about for quite a while. Uh, you know, I did actually talk to him about this and it was a real struggle, but, you know, he died, he was only 64 and the age I am now. And I think he had a future of, in terms of coming to terms with his um, homosexuality, such really as it was, and uh, talking about that. Anyway, he was, uh, final thing is he, he was, completely non-apologetic and open and gracious that his love was for Jesus. And he didn't say, you have to believe this. What he said is, here's what a relationship with Jesus has done in my life. Here's what God is offering us through Jesus, uh, healing and community and forgiveness and grace and, uh, and a very deep wisdom about the fragility of human beings. Um, and, uh, and, and at Harvard, there were a bunch of faculty that said, you know, this guy gets up, he talks about Jesus, there's nothing academic about it, why do we even have him here? And, it, and they made, I mean, Henry found it harder at Harvard than he did at Yale. And that's one of the reasons towards the last 10 years of his life, he actually abandoned academia and went up to Canada to be part of the L'Arche community, where able-bodied and able-minded people live with severely disabled people. And that was where Henry made his pastoral home. He became the priest of the L'Arche community up in Toronto. And I also visited him up there, but that was a completely different role for him. And um, particularly as the super smart academic who were now with people who couldn't uh, read and uh, often had a great deal of trouble with just basic cognitive tasks. Mm -hmm. So it was a huge shift. But if you see it as part of a journey where he was constantly trying to build bridges, this was his sort of final bridge of building it between able-bodied people and uh, people struggling with challenges as a way of showing uh, a particularly strong form of generosity in Christian service. I feel like it's helpful. Yeah, interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, I share a little bit more about the large community experience for that you know about for that he was in, if you don't mind. Uh, well, um, the, so the L'Arche community was founded by a guy named Jean Vanier, and Jean Vanier was a, a lay leader in France, and the idea was that rather than institutionalize people with uh, cognitive, mental, or physical disabilities, severe ones, um, it should be a task of Christians and Christian community to welcome such uh, fellow Christians, fellow human beings as peers. So it was um, a complex environment in the sense that these were quite highly trained people who lived with the uh, disabled folks, but also they lived with them, relatively speaking, as peers, same meals, same games, same worship. Uh, and some of the relationships that were developed were very intense. And also Henry, 
uh, couldn't use all his fancy theological arguments and psychological training. He had to just be very much be himself. So his sermons became more and more like Jesus. In other words, very simple stories that people could access at, at, in different ways. Um, you know, it wasn't without challenges. I mean, Henry was full of contradictions. For example, he was always talking about how important it was to be hidden and to be silent. And he spent most of the year on the road talking to people. And, you know, and um, I mean, his final book was called Sabbatical Journey, which I happen to have right here. And this is a heartbreaking book because it's about the year he took before he died, although when he was writing it, he didn't know it was. So it's a kind of countdown. And you, at the beginning, he says, I'm going to spend this year really quietly and thinking. And by the end of the year, he's met with over 200 people, that, you know, who he names, um, including he came and uh, uh, read at my wedding to Ann Tate, mm -hmm. uh, which was the last time we saw him. But so, you know, uh, but the, the thing about it, Matt, is that he was honest about these. He'd say, I'm lonely. I'm conflicted. I'm a mess. Not not hopeless mess, but, you know, I, you know, it's like um, the good that I would do. I can't like Paul says. And um, and but he, he's in some ways, he's also unflinching. It isn't whining like, oh, poor me. Don't you feel sorry for me? It's more like. I'm deeply committed to the person of Jesus and to the life in Christ and with God, but my goodness, this is hard. And if you think that because I'm a priest, I have it all figured out, you don't know the half of it. And here's my struggle. What's your struggle? And so people were, well, let me tell you what my struggle is that and share it. So, um, and anyway, so he was, um, uh, he did have, and I'll tell you one other story, he did have some problems he, you know, he had a lot of emotional needs. And one time he was uh, kind of mad at me because um, he felt I and a few others, but he and I were good friends, um, you know, that I didn't include him enough stuff. Like I was treating him like he was a famous guy or, and too busy. And he said, you know, I mean, when friends are friends, they just call you up and you go to the movies and things like that. So I said, OK, OK, Henry, I, I hear you. And so for the next couple of months, I called him up, said, you want to come over for dinner in three days or next week? You want to go to the movies? And uh, he said, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, just... So finally, I had to say to him, Henry, you remember when you said that sometimes friends invite other friends for dinner and for the movies? And he goes, yes, 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 yes. And I said, well, here's the thing. Sometimes the invited friends say yes. <laughs> and... Um, and he heard that. And, you know, so we hung out a couple of times, came over. I mean, it was often with other faculty or other students. He had a little group of deeply devoted, um, uh, you know, assisting teachers, grad students and so forth. Uh, but um, but he was, a, you know, he was an extraordinary human being and um, he had a couple major crises, but then he wrote about those. So it was you know, it was just the absolute opposite of a kind of dogmatic, the Pope says it, and therefore we do it, no discussion. It was the all the way on the Pope. So for many people, it was just a new idea about Catholicism or people who had been Roman Catholic, who felt alienated, who came back because of Henry, and many evangelical Christians who found the conversation about the relationship to Jesus really inspiring and restorative. So, you know, in this world, Catholic, liberal Protestant, conservative um, uh, Protestant, evangelical, 
he spoke to everybody and that was very striking. Yeah, that's, that, that's neat. Um, I, I want to follow a thread about the loneliness stuff. Um, a little yeah. bit. Um, you know what? Uh, I think, you know, you spoke both, both about loneliness and about depression. Um, yeah. And um, I'm curious what you think he would bring to the table in this time of pandemic when lots of folks. You know, oh my gosh. You know, uh, that's a wonderful question. I mean, I'm absolutely certain that he would write something incredibly beautiful and powerful. I mean, he wrote a lot about waiting, what it is to wait and uh, how hard it is to wait and how empty you can feel while you're waiting. And this is, uh, you know, and he also wrote a lot about suffering, um, what it was to suffer. And, and he, I'm sure he would have things to say about how to maintain community even through the Zoom world. I mean, mm -hmm. so, um, you know, for him, I would think, the pandemic would be a kind of um, taking, you know, squaring or cubing the problems mm -hmm. that he had written about for many, many years. So mm -hmm. he would be stepping right up to it. Um, I would have, I wouldn't have been at all surprised if uh, Henry decided to do a once a week, you know, ten minute reflection on the internet to help people. I mean, that's the kind of thing he did, and he was peppered with requests. I mean, you know, he had to have one and eventually two secretaries just handling the enormous volume of mail, which ranged from requests to speak, requests to write books, requests to deliver named lectures, and fundamental questions about life, you know, pastoral questions. And um, he tried to answer everyone. I mean, it was a huge, huge task considering everything else that was going on, but he had some very effective assistants who rallied around him. And you know, and every now and then Henry would get a little full of himself because he was like, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. But, you know, mostly he remained very humble. And uh, and he had one major crisis while he was at L'Arche. You know, he kind of, it's very complicated. I don't know the full story, but it was basically he formed a powerful attachment uh, with um, an important member of the community, an able-bodied person. And um and I think he sort of fell in love with this person and that person just couldn't reciprocate. Uh, and I'm not talking physically, I'm just talking at an emotional level. Mm -hmm. And you know, when Henry realized that there was really a kind of ultimate limit on what this relationship could be, he, it sort of opened up a door to all his sense of rejection and loneliness and so forth. And he had to take some time off and get some uh, treatment. Um, so, you know, this guy wasn't perfect, but it was, so, you know, one of his most famous books is called The Wounded Healer. And his whole uh, um, thesis of that, it's that through our brokenness, we heal each other. It's because we know what it is to be broken in our own individual ways that we can understand in some manner uh, other people's brokenness. Now, this is actually very controversial now because, you know, just to give you an example, does do all the challenges that I've had medically, um, leg braces and you know many many surgeries and reje rejection because I look different. Does that give me insight into what anyone else or people who've been rejected for uh, rape because of racism or other things? So one answer is, and I think Henry would say, well we each have our distinct challenges that we need to honor, and yet 
we're not alone in those challenges because we can gain insight, however limited and imperfect, we can gain it into others. Right now, however, there's more of, look, you can't ever understand who I am. And I understand why some people feel it's important to say that. But Henry was sort of in the opposite camp. Yes, we're different, but ultimately our difference can lead us back into a stronger, diverse community that's genuinely, a, you know, the beloved uh, community. So, you know, he'd be participating in that conversation. And um, I think the thing, uh, Matt, was just that, you know, people said of Jesus, he spoke as one with authority. That's the way people reacted to Henry is he would get up there and, uh, you know, I wrote, you were kind enough to mention, I wrote, he had these very long hands and he would use them very vividly. And, you know, I said that sometimes he'd go like this, you know, to like he was trying to drag meaning out of the air. You know, he'd say, you know, it's, it's very important to understand Jesus, you know, like this. And then other times he had this very distinctive thing where he spread out his arms. And I said, it was like he had his fingers in little different pots. And he'd say, you know, so he was, he used his hands as this kind of, um, you know, corps de ballet while he was uh, talking. And it was very, very vivid. Uh, as I say, he was kind of a gangly guy, he had long arms, he had long, long fingers with very, very flat nails. I remember this, his nails were almost like ping pong paddles. And uh, so when he did things and he had this vivid, vivid imagery, you were captivated and it didn't sound like you ever heard anything you'd heard from the pulpit or, you know, or uh, it seemed fresh and exciting and um, healing. I mean, that's why so many people were drawn to him. Uh, another thread that I want to follow a little bit, um, given that many people at St. James's identified social justice uh, as a central value for them. Is you, you hinted a little bit about Henry's um, uh, concerns around Central and South America and poverty, and I also know peacemaking was was in his uh, yes. a concern yeah. of his too. But uh, tell me a little bit about what you know about Henry's thoughts around social justice and how that and actually how that well, ties to the gospel and to interfaith, not as an independent. Peace. No, he, um, well, I mean, I didn't know him during this period, but, you know, he was very interested in the civil rights movement. He, uh, he somehow either, I don't think he went to Selma, but he organized with other clergy and priests to defend what, you know, the folks who went to Selma, I don't remember the exact story, but so, you know, in the early 1960s, 64, 65, he was all over this and, uh, and it just kind of kept going. I mean, there was always a temptation for Henry to become kind of the sweet chaplain to, you know, privileged first world. Uh, he didn't, he refused to do that. I mean, he said, you know, it's not enough uh, to just speak the words, um, you know, as it says in the letter to James, uh, of James. And so, but, but, so he would start with how we connect to God through Jesus, through our brokenness and so forth. But then he was not shy about saying, and that means that we now have to, I mean, this is when Archbishop Romero was shot and murdered in the middle of celebrating mass. I mean, this was a time, and the U.S. government was backing these uh, military regimes that control. So 
I mean, Henry was not a super political person. He never talked about party or anything like that, but he was very clear about some of these uh, social justice questions. You know, his book, this is actually funny to talk about for me, but you know, my summer job once was to take like an 800 page manuscript of his um, uh, uh, time, a diary of his time in, in Bolivia and Peru, which he produced. This is uh, the book called Gracias. Oh, by the way, here's a picture of Henry. I, I was uh, urging you to, so you can see sort of a funny looking dude. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I mean, he had a big forehead and these long hands and kind of, he always wore pretty much the same sweater. He liked to wear very long scarves around his head. But point is, this is another example of bridge building. So he spent six months in a monastery and he writes about that. He spends six months really in the favelas, um, you know, living right smack in a, in a lean-to. Uh, he writes about that. He goes to Russia, uh, which was his final thing. And I was privileged to be with him on that trip. He wanted to go to the Hermitage Museum uh, to write a book about um, uh, the prodigal son. And that book became one of his most popular. Oddly, uh, you know, when Hillary Clinton was asked, what's her favorite book? What's her favorite? She said, Return of the Prodigal Son. And um, we, we traveled with him uh, around parts of Russia to various churches. This is in the 80s when uh, before perestroika, you know, the, the hand of the Soviet government was very heavy on the priests that we met with. But so, you know, he was very interested and then he used his prominence to draw attention, but he often approached it not from, you know, evil American government. He'd say, these people are really suffering and here's their story and don't you care about it and wouldn't you like to help? And, you know, so people got drawn in that way. Mm -hmm. That Russian thing, by the way, was partly the, the, um, occasion for the end of his life because he went and he spent time uh, a lot of time with this painting which my mother arranged my mother's a russian expert and had a lot of uh, uh, ties to the hermitage museum so he spent days just looking at this and he wrote this lovely book and then a dutch company tv company wanted to make a documentary about henry and this um uh, and this gorgeous painting, big painting, about four by five. And he was in Holland stopping to say hello to his family, going back to Petersburg to make the film when he had a heart attack, put in the hospital, had a second and fatal heart attack. And, uh, you know, I remember being in the pew at St. James when Ian Douglas in the middle of the service said, I want to give thanks for the life of Henry Nouwen. And I had not heard, in fact, his, uh, his group had been trying to reach me to tell me I had not heard. And so I instantly burst into tears because there's only one way to understand those words, you know, uh, uh, gratitude for the life of. But anyway, I miss him a good deal. I mean, uh, you know, he, as I say, he wasn't perfect. He didn't get along with children very well. He just didn't know how to interact with children. He loved my son, Sam. And one point he was peppering Sam with questions. How do you like school? How do you, what do you like in school? This, that, and the other. And poor Sam, who was about eight, looked at me and he said, Daddy, is this an interview? And I said, don't worry, Sam, it's okay. And then Sam left and he said, I just don't know how to talk to children. And I said, <laughs> anyway, I know we're probably close to time, but uh, yeah. I, I, you I, know, I, want, I, I want to do one more question before we wrap okay. up. Um, uh, how would you say your faith has been impacted 
by Henry's or his teaching? Well, I would say, um, and it's, it's, I have never really thought about it in these terms, but I would say I was, my theology was fundamentally influenced by, by Henry um, because, it, it, you know, first of all, I went to Yale Divinity School for a really dumb reason, which is that I'd had this conversion experience and I just didn't know anything. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know history. I don't know what I was talking about. I had no idea what the difference. And so I just went to like, I got to be someplace where I can talk about this weird set of emotions and this compelling universe that's been opened up to me, which I couldn't really talk to to many of my college friends or even my family. They're like, whoa, they used to call me Bobby. Bobby's sort of gone off the rails in this religious stuff. But, um, but so I got there and Henry was one of the first people I met. And his open, uh, inclusive Roman Catholicism, his sense that, you know, the, the the one holy uh, apostolic, uh, Catholic and apostolic church, the sense that this was a, a global community and it went far beyond. He was a fundamental ecumenist. He went far, you know, the Roman Catholic church, he respected the Pope, uh, you know, and he did what he needed to do in terms of staying within their overall frame. But, you know, he gave communion to people who weren't Catholic. He, you know, he had open conversations about abortion. I don't recall that he ever openly came out and said, yeah, that's absolutely the thing to do. But he wanted, he wanted to understand, he wanted to support women facing these dilemmas and so forth. Um, and so as I move forward, um, now I'm not Roman Catholic, but I learned that there were many, I mean, this whole liberation theology, focus on the poor, moving through history to embrace a greater and greater work of God in the world. Those were part of Henry's theology, and but ultimately under an overall canopy of grace. Like, yeah, we pick sides, we do this, we screw up, but we're human. And the whole idea is that no, this isn't about our behavior. It's about God's gracious act and extending his love, though we are unworthy of it. It's a very Protestant idea, but it was at the heart of uh, Henry's theology. And so, um, I mean, obviously my theology took this turn or that turn, but the, but the fundamental essence of what it is to be a Christian in the world, I think I'm very much still uh, a disciple of his theology, very much so. Thank you very much. I think that's a great place to wrap up our conversation. Anything, any last okay. things you think I should have asked or, or missed? Well, I think um, I, so uh, I was showing you before uh, he met, he published 39 books. Um, I have about 20 of them right here. I don't know if you can really see the whole I'm looking at, amount. I'm looking at, at Bob's ginormous pile of Henry Nowen books right now. Now, I mean, 20 books. As I say, they're about 100 pages each. There's another nice picture of him. Mm -hmm. But I really would urge uh, anyone watching this and members of St. James to read one of them. And you could read about them. They're on, you know, on Amazon or at the library or whatever. But they have really changed people's lives because of how generous and healing they are. You know, you can, if you want to watch Henry's thinking, you can read them more or less his thinking evolved. We read them sort of in chronological order, but most people just look through them and go, boy, that looks interesting. And they pick that up and then they read another one. And, and then it's a, it's an incredibly nurturing writing um, at the same time that it's honest. It doesn't say you're loved. So now everything's fine. Goodbye. It's like you're loved. 
you are now part of a community and you need to seek to live within that community, receiving and giving within that community in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord. That's what he would say. So, um, so please, you know, some of these, and if you, you know, my mother and I are actually mentioned in at least one of these things. So you can play scavenger hunt and see if you can find where we, where we for, Yeah. So, yeah, and I anyway, think you. you're even, no, I mean, and, and, you know, more important to books these days, you're even mentioned in his Wikipedia page. Did you know that? I saw that today, which I was very <laughs> surprised by. And, you know, to, just to fill out that reference, when Henry died, uh, his community, large community, realized a large number of things were being written about him. And they decided to collect some essays of their own, including from some of the disabled people, you know, talking about what their experience was. They asked me to write one. And um, and uh, so I did. And one or two of the stories I told you in that article. But I encourage people to, you know, um, look it up. The book is called Befriending Life. and um, I don't remember what my essay is called, but it's the first or second one in the book. But it's, um, you know, it'll tell you a little bit more about how I knew him and what he said. And But I've stuck pretty closely to some of the themes of that article. But it has many other interesting perspectives on Henry because he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of friends, most of them scattered around the world, many of them uh, right up close who knew him personally. And... Uh, I think he's a, a worthy person to study as part of one's uh, one's growth in the life of faith. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, uh, he he's, was an extraordinary man. It was a great gift to be able to know him personally. And now, you know, he's withdrawn. So we must now share his spirit, as it says in the book of Acts. So, you know, let's do that. I think he still giving gifts to people. I'd be curious what his sales are 25 years later. I'm sure they're lower, but they're certainly still going. I'm sure of that. Um, thank you very much. We'll talk soon, I hope. And, um, and to all St. James friends, many blessings.